What's up? I am Machine Gun Kelly, and look, I know Halloween is going to suck this year because there's no trick-or-treating and all that, but I've got a treat. There's a musical podcast that I made with my friends 24K Golden, Ian Dior, Dana Dentata, and Satan. Well, Satan's not my friend, but Tommy Lee is, and Tommy Lee is playing Satan. But don't just take it from me. Tell him, Satan. Thanks, dude. It feels great to be playing Satan on this podcast. Listen to Halloween in Hell on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or whatever you get your podcasts on. Hi, I'm Ariel Demaros, and I'm hosting a new podcast called Vice News Reports. With so much going on around the world, so many people telling you they have the definitive take on the news, we bring you to the news so you can hear it for yourself. From the newsroom that has earned more Emmy nominations than any other news team, this podcast goes where the story is, from conflict zones to the labyrinth of digital life. You've never traveled quite like this. Get the Vice News Reports podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At the peak of the evening news ratings race in the early 1980s, over 40 million viewers tuned in to ABC, CBS, and NBC every night to hear the news of the day from one of the three most trusted men in America, Dan Rather, Peter Jennings, or Tom Brokaw. No other names could ever hope to garner the influence and trust of these three men and the three major network and evening newscasts. By 2020, viewership in these broadcasts had plummeted to less than half of what they were in the heyday. And TV news consumers have become more and more fragmented amongst various cable news sources. News has become a more profitable business than entertainment for many media companies. Fox News alone brought in over $2.5 billion of revenue for its parent company in the first quarter of this year alone. And Fox is far from the only news organization profiting from the polarization of TV news in America. Newer players such as OANN and Newsmax are carving out their own segments of the right-wing audience. The Young Turks and MSNBC hold major sway on the left. CNN continues to post record ratings. Even a network previously known mostly for syndicated sitcom reruns, WG in America, has blown up its entire programming lineup for three hours of national news every weeknight. With advertisers willing to spend so much money during TV news broadcasts, and news organizations finding themselves under more and more pressure to compete for ratings against more and more news outlets, what's more important to these networks, ratings or journalism? I'm Clay Aiken. It's Thursday, September 23rd. This week, Politicon is excited to welcome one of the most connected media reporters in America, the anchor of CNN's Reliable Sources, Brian Stelter, to talk about the continued changing landscape of American television news and about his new book, Hoax, Donald Trump, Fox News, and the Dangerous Distortion of Truth. Is anyone in television news completely trustworthy anymore? When so many networks are rushing to be the first to report, can we really count on any source to be completely accurate? Is it even realistic for a journalist to claim they aren't biased in their reporting? And if Americans are all trusting completely different news reporting, how the heck are we going to get along? Brian, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us and doing this with us. I've been looking forward to this one Thanks. for a few weeks because I am, I am I'm fascinated by all the stuff that you <laughs> um, talk about on CNN and all the stuff that you talk about in your book, I am fascinated in. But I got to just up front admit that 
I am one of the, I mean, news ratings have been up sky high in the past few months, right? Yeah. But I'm one of the people who's, I've done, I've done a news break personally, oh, yeah. and I turned the news off on t- the TV news off um, in March because <laughs> there was just, I mean, it's 2020 and by March I had already had enough, yes. right? And I took a break from it because I just had gotten to a point where it, it, it was inundated with the sky falling constantly. Why do you think that, why do you think ratings are higher right now than they have been in, in decades, really? In 40 years for CNN, right? Well, it's a combination of multiple crises at the same time, right? Between the pandemic and the street protests, the Black Lives Matter movement, um, this incredible election, this fear about the future of democracy. It's all happening at once. And, and so you're right, ratings are at historic levels. But I think what you're doing is really important also. Taking a breath from it, taking a break from the the daily or the minute-by-minute coverage. The last time I had a break was, I guess it was this time last year. It was it was when uh, my now one-year-old son's story was born. And I had, you know, I, I, I could have taken longer, but I did, I did take two weeks fully offline. And when I came back to my show, I felt like my eyes were newly wide open, almost like my vision was blurry before, but now I could see it again with 2020 vision. So I think it's helpful for, for everyone to go through that once in a while. And well, make seven months I'm on now. <laughs> and I tell you what, I don't mind, I don't mind being not, I mean, I don't, I don't completely ignore yeah, the news. Still obviously. I couldn't be yeah. talking to people every week if I was completely ignoring the news, but I read it only. And I have mm. I've gotten to where I have cut out any in my Google News feed, mm-hmm. I've cut out any r- sources that aren't just hardcore news. So I don't do Salon and Slate like I used to. I avoid the boxes of anything that might have a little bit of bent. I'm down straight down the middle as close as I can get in news these days to New York Times and Washington Post and my local North Carolina newspaper. Do you think it's even possible for those folks to be unbiased? Sounds like I mean, aren't someone should study you. It sounds like you're well, a research project. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I'm a research project in a whole bunch of other more more disturbing <laughs> ways than just that. But but is even is even the New York Times or Washington Post are they really able? Is anyone able to really claim that there is absolutely no bias getting into what they're writing or reporting on on TV? I think the dividing line is a little different. I think it's between outlets and reporters who are trying to avoid bias and. Um, nonsense and BS and misinformation versus on the other side, people who don't care. Um, so I, I, I would put it to you this way. I think the New York Times and the CNNs of the world are trying to just get to what re- what is true, trying to get to what the truth is. And you can do that a variety of different ways. You can do that through news stories, point of view, essays, um, fact checks, interactives, but trying to get to reality and making mistakes along the way, but trying. And then on the other side, you have a lot of propaganda, a lot of just hyper-partisan misinformation, stuff that looks like news and smells like news and tastes like news, but is not um, attempting to be um, reliable news. And and those sorts of things, like they're entertaining sometimes, they're provocative, they might make you angry or emotional. Like I'm I'm not claiming that there's no great use for those um, media outlets, but but here's an example. I, I, here's, here's how I would put it. I would frame it this way. Um, we're living through this terrible pandemic. And there are a bunch of um, 
international news sources that have bureaus in Beijing, and they send reporters to Wuhan, and they try to learn about the origins of the virus, right? And that's CNN and the New York Times and the AP and ABC and all the rest. And there are media outlets that will never have reporters in Wuhan, but instead they talk about the news. And I'm not saying that those outlets are, you know, should be wiped away. No, they shouldn't. It's great that they exist, but they're different. You know what I mean? They are different than the news outlets that are trying to spend money to discover the news. I think that's the distinction to draw. Are there not? I mean, there's there are two different types of of I don't want to call it fake news, but there are two. T- <laughs> I mean, there is fa- there is fake news, and it's it's pretty yeah, actually not not Trump's fake available news, in plenty of places. Yeah, yeah. There's actual crap. Yeah, um, that's just lies and untruths. But there's also a bias in the way that certain outlets, certain networks cover certain stories that might not be covered elsewhere. How do how does a responsible news organization t- draw a line between or, or carefully yeah. craft out what stories they cover because they are important and people need to know yeah. versus what stories they need to cover because this is what people are interested in? I mean, right. even CNN, listen, I was an ambassador for UNICEF for right. years, and there were things that I learned about, you know, Africa, sub-Saharan Africa, when I was when I was traveling with UNICEF to Uganda and Kenya and Somalia, and they were just horrid, horrible stories about night commuters and and things that really I thought while I was there, holy crap, why have I not heard about this? Why is this not on the news? And I wonder why. How does how does a network that wants to be unbiased determine what stories are important enough to show and which ones? just aren't sexy enough for our viewers to right. care about. Well, I would break it down instead of saying, how does a network decide? And I would say instead, how do a hundred different people decide, right? Because I, I, would, I would say to you and, and, and to your audience that instead of it being a decision by a network, it's, it's all these individual people who make right calls and wrong calls. And you know, I always say for my show on, on Sunday called Reliable Sources, you know, I, I have a hundred different stories I could cover every week, and I have to choose about six of them. And sometimes I choose right, sometimes I choose wrong. I remember the the weekend before the 2016 election, I chose wrong. Because I, I could choose between this guy who had traveled the country interviewing um, Trump-leaning voters versus a couple of the Pod Save America hosts. And I was like, oh, well, these guys, you know, they're, they're liberal uh, stars. I'm going to have them on because Hillary's mm-hmm. clearly going to win. <laughs> instead of having right, the well, uh, the Trump expert. And that was a mistake. You weren't alone in that slip. Right. You weren't alone in that right. slip up that week. I look back at that, I'm like, oh, you know, if I had just, if I had just taken that one, you know, wrong, right, right turn. You know, but, but my point is, you know, each week we're making those choices. Every day CNN's making those choices about what to cover and what to prioritize. And I think um, those choices are obviously flawed, but there's a bunch of humans that are trying to get it right and, and trying to choose the right angles. And I think what's happened in the last few years is, you know, for better or for worse, Trump is um, ripping off scabs. Like he's ripping, he's 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 ripping off America's Band-Aid. And so many stories relate to Trump. So I, I would be lying if I said the international news was getting all the air as much as it was five years ago. It definitely is not. Um, you know, we're spending a lot. Well, more I wasn't. Time I'm talking Trump. about being an ambassador yeah. a good 15 years ago. So I'm talking well, about it was not on then yeah. either. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's just not not covered because I mean, is there is well, there not a there when you made that decision? But not just you, but all and and I obviously want to talk about other networks besides just CNN. But when when each of the hosts 
and executive producers of the evening programming on CNN um, or the dayside programming on CNN make a decision about what do we want to talk about today, how much of that is based on what is important and what do our viewers need to know versus how much of it is based on, okay, well, this is going to get people to continue to right. not turn the channel. Right. Um, I think this this answer varies depending on the network, depending on the show, and depending on the time of day. And different people feel different amounts of ratings pressures. Um, when I was working on my book, Hoax, I was shocked by how extreme the ratings pressures seemed to be at Fox. But, you know, then again, they've been winning in the ratings for 18 years. So they feel this tremendous pressure to keep, quote-unquote, winning, as, as President Trump would say. I don't feel that same intensity at CNN. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, maybe maybe others do. I don't think they do, though. And, and here's, I'll tell you the way I approach the ratings, and I think probably applies to a lot of my colleagues. I think my job as an anchor is, I definitely need to get you through the door, right? So I definitely care about at the top of the hour, I want to hold on to the audience that's there already, the audience for the show before me. I want to hold on to those viewers and keep them interested and give them reasons to keep watching. But my attitude is, once I get you through the door, then I can take you anywhere. And I think that's where we have a real opportunity to get nerdy, get wonky, get insidery, get 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 deep into stories, go in depth with people. Um, well, your show is interesting. Your show is unique, though, and on the on the CNN lineup. I mean, you have a very well. I'm focused on media, beat, yeah. right? It's, right. You've got a very specific beat, and you're able to kind of craft your show in a way because people come to watch reliable sources if they want to hear about news about the media. But uh, other folks on MSNBC or Fox yeah. or CNN who are on the evening lineup, that's, you know, they all kind of have a political bent to them, right? That the Rachel Maddow is, is people come to her because they want to hear her, ta- her liberal take on this news story of the day. People tune into Tucker because they want to hear how he's going to spin a story in the conservative way. And do you not think that some people come, that people come to Anderson and Chris Cuomo and Don Lemon for the same reasons? Or do you think they come to them for different reasons? I, I do think that CNN, CNN programs are generally different than Hannity or Maddow. Um, there's more of a distinct well. audience for those programs. By the way, Hannity and Meadow are very different. I, I'm not going to claim they're the same. Hannity says, <laughs> he says journalism is dead. He sure. screams about the deep state and he lies about Trump and lies about Biden. Um, Rachel Maddow says, journalism is alive. Go support it. Subscribe to your local paper. And she'll spend 20 minutes explaining you know, an idea. Those are very different shows. But but yes, obviously, she has a, a much more of a liberal audience. She has much more of a right-wing audience. I, I think CNN's, um, uh, you know, Focus, of course, has, has been very Trumpy in recent years because he's the biggest story in the world, in, in my view, and in, in the view of many of my colleagues. Um, but I think we are much more about okay, what happened today? Can we try to make it make sense? Can we separate the noise from the news and focus on the news? Um, and sometimes, you know, we're doing that through monologues, we do that through essays, um, point of view, you know, looking at the camera, telling the viewers what happened that day. Here's how to make sense of it. And it's definitely, we're doing a lot more of that than we were five years ago, by the way. And I think that I mean, he has, he has really, he has really taken a dislike to CNN publicly, right? I mean, CNN is the enemy of the people as far as uh, Trump is concerned. Why he chose CNN over MSNBC, I'm not quite sure. Um, Maybe that's a compliment. Maybe it's not. Uh, But he does make this point that without him, CNN's rate, he brings CNN ratings. 
Is that not a little bit true? And what would be worse, losing having him as a president or losing the ratings? I mean, what what's what's is there not a benefit to having such a controversial president in the in office for for the network? What I always tell people is there's a benefit to there being news. And sometimes the news takes a kind of orangish tint from President Trump. And sometimes the news is about a, a movement or a protest or a march or an earthquake. You know, by the way, there can be examples of news that's really positive or also news that's really negative, you know. So um, I think it's about news. And obviously, Trump generates an enormous amount of news. He's like, he's like a news hurricane, spinning off news. But um, I. I think there's something interesting interesting's happened in the ratings in the, in the last couple of years. Trump himself is not a ratings driver for CNN or MSNBC or the broadcast networks. He is when he's on Fox, he does he does generate ratings for Fox because that's that's really his his you know his home base, it's his home camp that's where you know the audience wants to cheer him on. Um covering Trump on CNN doesn't mean you're going to get a ratings boost, but we do it cuz it's the biggest story. You know, he's, he's, you know, and now, of course, the election with Biden is the biggest story. Do you think that sometimes there is a, that reporters from any outlet fall into a trap that Trump sets for them? I mean, I think about Jim Acosta, whether you like Jim Acosta or dislike Jim Acosta, there is no question that he is one of the the favorite uh, targets of President Trump. And I sometimes think to myself, listen, I think that Certainly, Jim Acosta has been, has had years and years of very nonpartisan, equal opportunity offending reporting on both President Obama and President Trump. I mean, he's he's been a pretty no-nonsense, good, solid reporter for CNN for years. But I feel like there are a lot of people who just cannot possibly believe that someone like Jim Acosta can be berated by the President of the United States, constantly get hit, 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 insulted by him on national TV, called the enemy of of America, etc., and not take it out on him in some way. How, How are reporters, or how can reporters convince any of us that they don't take anything personally and they don't have a personal vendetta right. against the President? I mean, I feel like sometimes he might be setting them up mm. By insulting somebody like Jim Acosta so much, if you hit him hard enough, there's no one who could possibly believe that Jim Acosta doesn't dislike Trump at this well, point. Well, first of all, the president shouldn't be hitting reporters, shouldn't be attacking reporters. Uh, well, I'm not going to disagree right, with that, but I'm not talking about what's, you know, I'm not expecting him to do the right thing. <laughs> I'm wondering how people like, how journalists like Jim yeah. Acosta, not just him, so, but no, Michelle Sindor, a whole bunch of folks. I think it's about they, the checks and balances. I think it's about the layers of scrutiny that we have. At a network like CNN, um, where you know, uh, I don't, I don't want to use a cost as an example, but I will because you started there. Um, I used it. He yeah, has a producer, fault. and he has a you know a, a boss that he reports to, and each show has an executive producer, and then you know each executive producer reports up to a to a vice president or an EVP or somebody, um, and so those layers of accountability and scrutiny are, I think, what protect us from ourselves sometimes 
just to give you an example that's very personal, like I I made a I made a mistake in my newsletter over the the summer. I have a nightly newsletter for CNN.com, and I screwed up. I think it was in July, and uh, and I wrote a long editor a long email to my editors explaining how I screwed up, and then um, you know I had a. Like one of these, I describe these as the awkward conversation you have to have with your boss once in a while. Like I had one of those awkward calls where we talked about what went wrong and what to learn from it and how to how to how to make sure it doesn't happen again. You know, it's not disciplinary action. It's just having that heart to heart or that gut check with your boss to make sure that um, that you're getting better and learning and growing and not you know gonna screw up again. That that is how it should be. Like that's how the news out these news outlets should work. And, uh, you know, I think, right. But that's the behind the scenes stuff, right? I know like that, that's well, how Jim Acosta makes point. sure the he doesn't do it. See it. I take how point. do you get the viewers to believe that he doesn't have that bias? Well, maybe I should be out there talking more often about these awkward phone calls, right? Or these awkward meetings. Maybe, maybe that's a little tiny part of the solution. Um, or how CNN is keeping itself in check because right. I'm telling you, and listen, I, I've been on CNN many yeah, times myself. They've had me on as a pundit at, for, at times in 2016 and I, I like CNN, but I myself look at it and think, wait, how can anyone, I mean, I can understand how it's worked for Donald Trump. Let me well, put here's it that an way. Area to I can t- understand yeah. how that t- tactic has worked for him because Chris Cuomo's brother is the governor. And of course, Chris Cuomo is going to be biased. I love Chris Cuomo. I think he does a very good job of trying to stay, trying to call both sides out on bullshit. But I mean, it, it, how do you, how do you convince? I just would love to know how how much and how much of a concern is that? Is there a point that somebody like Don Lemon or Jake Tapper says, you know, I don't give a shit whether or not you think I'm biased anymore. I will own it, and I will still tell you the best of you know my opinion to the best of my ability, and give you the facts on both sides. Still, let, let me take that a couple different ways. First, I think there are really important kinds of bias that are not left to right. There's conflict bias and class bias. A lot of journalists are middle class or upper middle class or really rich. And so there's a class bias in journalism. There are also sometimes liberal and conservative biases. And I know there's a lot of concern about liberal bias. There's also conservative bias in the news that's that benefits well, we'll the right. we'll get into that. Don't you worry. So, so, so I just <laughs> want to say there's a lot of kinds of bias, okay? But, but in regards to this idea about... Um, how do we know that what's being on the air, getting on the air, is is fair and scrutinized? I did an important distinction to make between a live interview with someone like you, a commentator, a guest, a, and then there's these taped packages that we do, and those are the pieces that I'm describing this process where you have multiple people reading them ahead of time and scrutinizing them. You know, sometimes I'll get into these long debates with the um, with the copy editors about. What word to use? Can I say that's disturbing? Is that is, is that going too far? Uh, and you're right that viewers don't see those debates, and that might be might be might be a problem. You're, you're bringing up an interesting reliable sources segment for me. That can we be more transparent and show how those debates happen? Because that could be really informative, you know, to, to show. Well, that I mean, a story how... takes six hours to approve. But here's what I, I think is right. the most important thing: it is not partisan to defend truth and democracy and decency. I know that Trump, or Trump, Trump folks want to make it partisan, but it's not partisan to say if he says the sky is red and the sky is blue, we're going to call him out. And I, and I, I think that's sometimes our coverage maybe sounds like it's opinionated when we're just saying, man, the president couldn't even spell that person's name right. And I don't think that's an opinion. Why has at all. no reporter been able to? Why has no reporter really been able to figure out how to interview him yet? I mean, we had there's certainly some that are way too soft on him. We've seen that 
I mean, we're, I definitely want to talk about your book, so don't worry, we'll get to it. But we've seen that on the right by quite a few people, um, especially on Fox. Fox and Friends, he calls all the time now because he knows it'll be a pretty easy interview. Um, Judge Janine, God knows what they called that and why they call that an interview, but they did. <laughs> um, and then we've and then we've seen other people who have done their very best to call him out on his lies. And and mad props to Chris Wallace at Fox, who did a very good job of calling him out and fact-checking him in real time. But no one has yet been able to figure out how to interview him and catch him in something that even he was unable to mm. not care about. Why, why, what is it about this particular president that has, that has made it so impossible to not, ca- not just catch him in a lie, because that's pretty easy, but to get him to admit to having done something wrong or, or yeah. to check his own self in some way? Is it, just a, yeah. is it just his character to not be able to do it? Or are uh, reporters not handling these interviews the right way? Well, I'd love to see Trump sit down with Jake Tapper, or Chris Cuomo, or Anderson Cooper, or frankly, any CNN anchor, because he hasn't sat down with a single CNN anchor this, uh, this term. Is that what it is? He's just, that's um, it. That's the answer. He's kind of guarded himself. That he's, you know, but, 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 you know, but I don't want to say that's the entire answer, right? Because he has sat down with Jonathan Swan of Axios, and that was an amazing interview. Chris Wallace, you mentioned. David Muir and Lester Holt. There are examples of Trump interviews that are outside the Fox bubble. But I think it comes down to what I said earlier about, you know, when I make a mistake and, you know, I, I'm held accountable, and that's a good thing. I have a, a type of banner during my show. You know, the lower thirds where... You know, I'm mm-hmm. I'm kind of a I'm obsessive. I, I read all the banners ahead of time and I make sure they're all right. There's a typo, it's my fault. I'm mm-hmm. okay, I'm... at eleven AM. <laughs> I still feel like an idiot at like four in the afternoon. Like I'm still holding on to that. Like, oh, what did I do? And that's that's shame. Like that's embarrassment. That's a normal human mm-hmm. emotion to to feel like you screwed up. And the president doesn't seem capable of that. He's he, it's the shamelessness that allows them to bulldoze through the truth. And just keep. And my favorite example is from Inauguration Day. He said that the sun came out when he finished his speech, when it was actually lightly raining, which is like, I know it's a silly example and it's funny and like, who cares? But if you're willing to lie about the weather, you're willing to lie about oh, anything. Of course. I'm just, I'm, I'm waiting for that Gail King R. Kelly moment where someone interviews him in a way that he just. Like like Gail King King did with with R. Kelly, or where he just, or where he just, I don't know, Gail King in that moment. I mean, I'm sure you can see the picture in your head right now. She handled it in a way, and she let him R. Kelly fall apart, and she sort of what she got a huge. I'm sure she got a heck of a salary increase after that whole uh, string of of big interview gets. But um, I'm waiting for one of those time where mostly it's usually a correspondent who will challenge him. He will be flexed, and then he'll end the press conference. This happened once with yep. Ray Zhang of CBS. It happened once with Caitlin Collins of CNN. It's almost like him turning around and walking away is the closest thing to that. But look, it's a press conference. There's lots of reporters there. He might say he's late for a meeting. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of Today he did that. I think today I believe he said he had a phone call that he had an to, emergency, an emergency phone, phone call. call yeah, he emerg- had to take. We're doing this on Wednesday, yes. an emergency um, phone call. So- and and so now that was at at a Brianna Taylor question, right? So um, I've seen that happen. I'd love to see it in a situation where he's agreed to a sit down and he doesn't know how to get out of it. I guess that I guess that's just what I'm waiting for. But there is a, <laughs> but there's a, 
I want to I want to shift to the to conservative problems and and some of the things you know the what many of us believe um, is the network that has the largest audience um, for oh, right wing. I won't call Fox. it propaganda. Yes, yeah, so there you go. But but it but Fox started in part because there there has been for years even before Fox this belief that there was a conservative bias i mean a liberal bias in media cnn of the 90s and abc cbs and nbc and you know all the decades before that they i think they attempted to try to be the fair and balanced for maybe a month or two um and then realized that that having a conservative spin they certainly got more and more conservative over the years um i don't think i even realized as a as a college student that they were the conservative network it hasn't been until the late the the 2000s the late 2000s that they really kind of took on that moniker um what what caused that was that mm. always the intention over there or was it a, just a realization that ratings were better when they found that audience <laughs> the, the ratings are a key part of this answer and when i interviewed dozens and dozens of people for hoax the this obsession with ratings kept coming up again and again and again but I would I would go back for way. Where the slogan box in 1996 was fair and balanced, which of course is an insult to the rest of the media, right? It's it's saying you're not fair or balanced. We are going to be, but it's a very very clever cynical marketing slogan. But but let's remember they the reason they were able to get away with it was because there was a chunk of of Americans much smaller then than there is now that's that believed even before Fox told them right. so. That the media was liberally biased, yeah, correct? Yes, and and not only that, but you know, um, you go back and read the history of CBS and ABC and NBC in the 1980s. These newsrooms definitely leaned left in some ways. There's there's no doubt about that. Whenever you staff a news organization, people who live in and around New York City, you're probably going to get a newsroom that leans further to the left than the rest of the country. Um, so so uh-huh. you're absolutely right. And then I would say fair and balanced back then meant we are the we are we are we are providing the balance that others don't provide, which which implicit in that means we're covering the left, we're covering the right, we're giving you all sides. We are the mm-hmm. balanced network. And somewhere along the way, that slogan changed to mean something very different. The slogan now means we are the balance. To the rest of the media, to the, we are yeah. no longer trying to be fair. We are now the balance. Of the right, and and I would say that happens. Different people can date this at different times. And in my book, I quote Carl Cameron saying that he, he's a longtime correspondent who felt like he felt that happened earlier, like in two thousand three, two thousand four. But I look at two thousand eight as a radicalizing moment for Fox News. Sean Hannity used to have a co-host named Alan Combs. May he rest Alan in Combs, peace. Right? Yeah. Alan was kind of pushed out when Obama was elected. Now it was Hannity's show all by himself. You know, those are the kinds of choices that make you make the cha- made the channel change. A step Fox took was a step more to the right, and I think that that only culminates in Trump's election. What's up? I am Machine Gun Kelly, and look, I know Halloween is going to suck this year because there's no trick-or-treating and all that, but I've got a treat. There's a musical podcast that I made with my friends 24K Golden, Ian Dior, and Dana Dentata, and Satan. Oh, it's always Halloween. 
well, Satan's not my friend, but Tommy Lee is, and Tommy Lee is playing Satan. But don't just take it from me. Tell him, Satan. Thanks, dude. It feels great to be playing Satan on this podcast. This Halloween, listen to Halloween in Hell on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or whatever you get your podcasts on. Soundtracks available on Spotify or wherever you stream your music. But I mean, like, everybody's got a podcast these days. But what would I know? I'm Satan, for God's sakes. Don't even get me started. 13 Days of Halloween. A remote hotel. This, my friend, is Hawthorne Manor. The most unusual guests. They sound like someone you trust. Trick or treat! No, sweetie, don't touch it. Don't look at it. A tour guide that can't be trusted. Was it luck or fate that placed you here? We'll never know. And the newest arrival is you. Why are you here again? I know you. Starring Keegan-Michael Key as the caretaker. Please make yourself at home. After all, this is it. Produced in three-dimensional binaural audio to place you right in the center of the story in ways you'll have to hear to believe. For full exposure, listen with headphones or AirPods. One story each night, starting October 19th and ending on Halloween. From iHeartRadio and Blumhouse Television, listen to Aaron Mankey's 13 Days of Halloween on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Is it fair to to say that they have two separate arms over there? I mean, they try to get away with, they try to explain away the bias by saying we have a news arm and we have an opinion arm and our opinion arm is in the evenings and arguably fox and friends but our day side is and our news department is second to none is there anybody there besides brett bear and chris wallace who anymore that hold up that same standard and is it fair to say (laughs) that they would would you would you give them credit at all on personally as your opinion that they have a a nonpartisan or a less partisan news department? Do you think that's yeah. a fair assessment? Well, I think structurally that's that's the perfect way to frame a question. Um, y- yes, there is a news side, and yes, there is an opinion side. So on paper, structurally, clearly there are two sides. Um, what I would say is the wall between the two has been taken down brick by brick, and there's been this kind of commingling between the two sides, and with a news program during the day will show something from Fox Friends or they will show something from Hannity, or they'll just have the same guests as the opinion shows. So there's so much commingling. Um, but the, the real tension at the heart of Fox News and the Trump age, the battle for the soul of Fox, is between news and opinion, because there are journalists there who are struggling, who feel being by all the pro-Trump propaganda. And then on the other side, there's these pro-Trump opinion people who know they are winning, and they want to keep winning. And they want even less news there, right? So I think what we've seen is hour by hour, the channel has changed over time um, and become Trumpier and Trumpier and Trumpier. Um, and, and you know, that's, that's frankly, it's why a lot of sources talk to me, because there's a lot of journalists and producers and anchors at Fox and, and even people in management and production assistants at, you know, the top and the bottom um, who are frustrated by that. The most interesting thing, Clay, is even even really, really conservative staffers. I had folks who are, I would describe them as like Trump diehards. And even they are kind of bothered by this um, dismantling of the wall because they think it hurts Fox 
to not have a clear delineation between news and opinion. The the change when Roger Ailes was pushed down. I mean, I don't. We don't have to go into that necessarily because it's been litigated and well, it was a good riddance put moment. into yeah. Yes, it's put into uh, scripted Oscar-winning <laughs> movies and, and TV shows. <laughs> right. um, but but certainly Oscar Ailes, uh, sorry, Roger Ailes had a, a big <laughs> hand in in guiding the the mission and the politics of Fox News. But yeah. when he was pushed out, and when the network began to be taken over more so by um, non-Roger Ailes people, you'll have to re- tell me the names of those folks, but also the Murdoch sons, mm-hmm. who have some degree, some degree of history with supporting progressive causes themselves, why did that bias not soften at all? Was, is, that, was, is that specifically mm-hmm. because by that point, even though the people running the show weren't as diehard conservative as Roger Ailes were, they just realized this is working? Yes, and that's a big part of the answer. I, I think uh, Ailes um, left a power vacuum, a leadership vacuum, and as one really well-placed staffer said to me, it's like Trump filled the vacuum. Um, there, there wasn't a strong sense of leadership post-Ailes. Remember Rupert Murdoch, the, the boss temporarily, and then there was a Couple, there were a couple of co-presidents, and then one of them was, you know, not. And like you, you've had this revolving door of leadership, this lack of clear, strong leadership at Fox. And as a result, it's like the ghost of Roger Ailes still haunts the place, still looms over the place. So people ask themselves, well, what did Roger do? And hmm. I don't know. Like, this is one of the interesting mysteries in my book, Hoax, is we don't know. For old Trump, would he have tried to row Trump and and uh, round off some of the hard edges? Or would, would Ailes just have totally, you know, allowed all the excesses and scandals? And when I say allowed, here, here's what I mean. In the 2015-2016 campaign, when Trump would attack Megyn Kelly, you know, really abuse Megyn Kelly, Ailes hit back. Ailes wouldn't stand for it. He, he would scream at Trump. He would put out these net, really tough statements against Trump. And nowadays, when Trump attacks Fox News, they just stay quiet and they don't say anything about it. So the question becomes, would Fox stand up for itself? If Ailes, would Fox defend itself? Would they push back against Trump? I'd like to say yes. And many staffers who spoke to me said yes. Ailes would have defended us. But we don't know. Like We, we will never know what that would have been like. And as a result, what we do know is Trump filled the power vacuum the channel became Trumpier and Trumpier. All the incentives when you're at Fox is to lean into the Trump audience and give the audience what they want. Because ultimately, this is about the audience, right? It's about the ratings. It's about delivering a product that the right-wing audience wants. And they don't want to be told that their president's a serial liar who's um, who's fumbling the coronavirus pandemic. What's he gaming out? Because I'm, I'm telling you, my prediction is that... He's going to throw his hat in the ring with one of these two networks after after he's done in in four months or four years. <laughs> and uh, are they pl- are, are people gaming this out already? Do people kind of see the writing on the wall? Is he going to start his own thing? Any ideas? What's the scuttlebutt? Breakfast before the pandemic uh, made it impossible to go to breakfast was with a uh, with <laughs> Binsner, who um, and I, I kind of I use this scene to end. Look, I say, you know, and he says. What do you think is going to happen? And I say, well, I think Trump, whenever he loses, whether it's you know 2020 or 2024, he'll go try to get a TV show. 
And this, no, 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 think bigger. Think, think a network. I was about to say. And then Ivanka can have a show and Don Jr. can have a show. And so there is a fear inside, or at least a concern inside Murdoch world and Fox world, that Trump will rival Fox. I'm very skeptical because I think it's very, very, very hard to launch a network these days. It's even harder when your name is Trump because there's so much political baggage. Really? You think it's hard? I mean, if Oprah could pull it off, Trump's got, I mean, Trump's got 35% of the electorate who would let him literally take a dump on the White House lawn and they would still follow him. You don't think they would follow him over to OANN where he would say, (laughs) tell you what, give me 50% of this and I'll give you my name and my family and I will be exclusive to you, you don't think it. I mean, he doesn't. You don't have to start a network if somebody else has already started one, right? He wants to join OANN or Newsmax, but either either of those channels have a real problem. They don't have full distribution across the country, and I think it will be very hard to gain distribution if um, the loser former president, who very loudly lost the election and screamed on the way out, um, wants to have a TV network. I, you know, I may, I may be wrong. I may be underestimating the profit potential here, but Maybe hard to get cable carriage or satellite carriage. Um, OANN is. I, so listen, I appreciate great. your optimism. <laughs> well, actually, I'll tell you I what. Like I haven't to think it told wasn't. anybody yet. Alternate theory for Trump. I'm ready, and, and and I'll tell you what it is. Instead of TV, what about radio? Like maybe radio is his path. Again, this assumes that he does not win election. Um, and that he, he ain't doing all that work on that damn hair. Well, to the, be well on that's radio. what I'm saying, right? <laughs> so Sean Hannity is, you know, um, the number two guy in radio, Rush Limbaugh, who's the number one star in talk radio. Um, you know, we know that Rush has been uh, fighting cancer this year. I hope that Rush is is doing better. We haven't heard lately about his condition. He's, he's on there. He's on the radio. There's Rush, there's Sean Hannity, and then there's a few other really big players like Mark Levin and Michael Savage. But there is more than enough room for a Donald Trump radio show. And I wonder if he wouldn't just want to sit a lago and cozy up to the microphone, just do that for a few hours a day. Maybe that's better than The man TV. has been on TV since Robin Leach and Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. <laughs> he loves TV. It's, well, that's he true. That's a, that's a very, that's a, that is the best counter argument <laughs> that I can think of to my own, he to my loves own theory. the attention. So, so OANN has started, and I, I, my, I'm going to respectfully disagree with you and say that I think they would get my my gut is they would get quick carriage yeah. on cable if they had Donald Trump as the if they had half the audience of Fox migrating over to them right <laughs> away I just feel like they would they would be able to get it but um so they they're up they're popping up on the right um OANN's the Newsmax as you've talked about um uh, young turks have some of the left held down uh MSNBC, of course, I agree, is not quite as blatant, but I respect that MSNBC owns its bias and says, you know, made their their logo their slogan forward, uh, and they certainly tend to cater to a very progressive audience. There's a new player, right? This this WGN America News Nation. Thing. Oh yeah. What's your take on What's your take on that? Because I, that's the only national news that I have watched since. Uh, March, and I turned it on just as an experiment because I heard about it and I wanted to see what they were up to, trying to do something completely nonpartisan. Um, have you paid attention to any of that at all? And what do you think is? 
you think it's viable at all? Yeah, this is an interesting project. Uh, it's a three-hour primetime newscast, and the, the entire pitch is um, facts, not opinion. That it's a newscast, not a talk show. And it has really a local news sensibility, um, but national. Um, I am, to be honest, I'm very skeptical. And I'm very skeptical because I think that um, the internet and mobile phones have changed everything. But the, the way I see television news is HLN headline news used to have a kind of 24-hour wheel, wheel of headlines. And that, that doesn't happen anymore because the phone is a better way to get all those headlines. It's the best way to get all the different news headlines. And I think when people come tonight, they want more headlines, want more than news packages. They want interviews and, and perspective and personality. So that's my belief as, a, as like an obsessive in this world who studies it. I think that if there was a market for um, here are just the facts, here's your meat and potatoes and spinach and dessert, I think that CNN or, S or Fox would be doing that. So I'm skeptical. Um, and so far there's right. So but then yeah. but then I want but then I want to push back at you because I listen, I don't disagree with anything you've just said. I turned it on because I was interested and because like a mi- oh, like many it? people in no, this well, like many people in this country, I was I had turned the news off in March specifically because I was tired yeah. of being scared to death. Um, and I just wanted something plain, and I wanted to just hear what yeah. was happening without any spin. And I'll admit, bored to death. <laughs> really? Um, you're right. You're right. I mean, it was. It was. It's. Um, a, it's. I'll. I'll probably try again at some point. But it. It's just like watching the local news for three hours, and it's national news, and they're talented. I'm sure they're great reporters. But you're right. There was no personality at all, and there was no. It, it's just. It's a, a bulletin. Uh, they go through just like the morning announcements in high school did of everything that happened like today, those. and then they do it again. And as much as I want it, and as much as I think American viewers believe that they want it, when I watched it, I realized it was just more broccoli than I could handle. <laughs> and so I, I get that. But at the same time, should we all be a little bit concerned about the fact that We've been so used to our news. Yeah. I mean, listen, Walter Cronkite was not flashy. Dan Rather in the 80s was not flashy. They didn't do the graphics and the fancy uh, intro packages and breaking news things very often in the, in the network news. Should we be a little bit concerned by the fact that we have come to expect our newscasts on broadcast or cable to entertain us and to have to be so personality-based now that we're really tuning in more for the personality than we are for the news? Well, yes, is, is my answer. But here's the, here's the caveat in my answer. Um, news Nation is not doing well in the ratings. It's had about 100,000 viewers a night. So uh, that's one-tenth of any viewers have seen. Fox um, has a, a much bigger audience. And you know what has the biggest audience of all on television right now? It's the nightly newscast on ABC. So CBS, ABC, NBC, together, their 630 newscast averages 20 to 25 million viewers a night. So I think there is an audience for that well-balanced diet of news. It's just a little earlier in the evening. And look, I think the ABC newscast probably has has too many features, too much soft, but then CBS is harder. So there is a a variety out there, which I think is a good thing. Um, I think what's, what's most important to recognize This is just my view as someone who's been inside the CNN uh, world for, I guess, seven years now. It's been a long time. Um, 
the the most watched hour I've had this year was an hour that I didn't talk much at all. It was an hour that was not planned. <laughs> hmm. It was it was um, an hour of the John Lewis service. It, I, it happened. We we thought that it was yeah. going to be earlier in the morning, but it, it ended up being in my hour, and it was part of the, the service and so. And the, the reason I say that is. Ultimately, the news is the star. Like, ultimately, still, the news is the star. And yes, people want personality. And sometimes I'm, I'm great. Some viewers want to hear my interpretation of the world. But at the end of the day, they want to see the news. And uh, I think that's ultimately what cable news is most importantly about, is when we get out of the way and share actually breaking news Right. <laughs> we sometimes we all we always overuse the term breaking news when it's not breaking. But and when CNN the is the leader in breaking, both breaking news want... coverage and breaking news graphics. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, but, but you I'm... definitely have both. You're both you're great on both of those. <laughs> um, I, I want to get to our I, our listener question but, um, for you, uh, but I do I just want to ask one more incredibly cynical question. You mentioned ABC News. Oh, I think their ratings have jumped. They their ratings have jumped from something like six million to seven and oh, seven boy. million a night pre pandemic pre pandemic to now twelve million plus a night. They are literally the highest rated program on television. Like they beat oh, the Voice and all that right. stuff now t- too. Um, and and it's not just them that have doubled. NBC's numbers mm-hmm. have almost doubled for their nightly news. CBS's numbers have almost doubled for their. If the ratings are so high, and we're talking about, and I don't know how to quantify the numbers here, but but through May sweeps, August sweeps, um, uh, these numbers have been so high for those network newscasts. Why would they ever tell me that coronavirus is no longer a danger? Like, what would their motivation be for saying, never mind, guys, you're not in trouble anymore? Everybody can go out. I mean, I understand that the answer to that is not now anyway, but in March, how can I know that that mm. I can trust them when they have so much motivation to keep these viewers concerned about something like that? Well, that's, that's deep. That's pretty cynical. Here's what I would say. <laughs> it's pretty cynical. Yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> but I, I, I do would, wonder, I mean, we're talking about I, doubling your numbers, doubling your money yeah, get it. and not really having I to double it. your expenditures at all. First, well, first, good news is most people still feel shame. Most people still have responsibility <laughs> to, to be to be truthful and honest and, and have integrity. Now, here's the better answer, which is um, you have this phone in your hand. We all have this access to the internet that we didn't have 30 years ago, 20 years ago, really, um, almost. We can all go find it for ourselves. So, but we can. Be, but we've been told by like, a lot of people not to trust those things, right? Sure, but at the end of the day, our best options are still the CDC and our state health departments and our local health departments. Flawed and perfect for sure, but we still do have those options and those those prime. The, the reason I say this is we have access to the primary source material, so that if you feel like something's being overhyped or dramatized or, or exaggerated, we can all go find the, the original source. And I, I feel this as a resident of New York City because I watch Fox and I see them hyping the, the crime in the city and acting like my city's a hellhole. It's ridiculous because they all live here and they all have their shows here too. So it's kind of frustrating. Right. Um, and look, we had a tough time at the end of May. Like I've got a window in my building that's still, still boarded up from the riots and, you know, there's, Terrible vandalism that I was covering live on CNN, but that was the days. 
And then the next day, my daughter went to the park with me and we started to get you know back to work and things are getting better every day. And so I feel like the image of New York that I see on Fox is so different from what I see in reality. But the good news is we have local TV stations, we have newspapers. Like I always want to say to the, that kind of typical Fox and Friends viewer who's hearing all that garbage, I want to say to them, well, come to New York, come, come visit me. And if you can't, Go read the New York uh, Times or read the New York Daily News. Like, go go look at the webcam of Times Square. <laughs> I mean, it, <laughs> is, a very, is, it is a very it's a very <laughs> capitalist system in a way. I mean, if you don't if you don't like the news you're getting from one place or you don't trust it, you can double check because <laughs> because in a way, each each outlet has to keep itself each other in check because I mean, there's no collusion. Yeah, it's not a perfect CBS solution by any and, means. It's it's not a perfect. Yeah. It's not a perfect answer, but it is. it does get you to a partial answer where we check each other, where you can check on what you're hearing. Um, I think that's the, the, the closest thing we have. Okay, we have quick-fire questions that um, come from our listeners. We ask people every week. We tell them who the guest is going to be and ask them to send questions in. You can do that, by the way, if you're listening, um, by emailing them to us at podcasts at politicon.com, or you can send them to us on Twitter or Instagram at politicon. Um, when people found out you were going to be on this week, Brian, we got a lot more great questions than I normally try. Well, to I'm ready. To. So I'm going to try on. to run through a few of them because I think some of them are really interesting and a few of them are just, um, I'll be pithy. To ask you. Um, <laughs> so Gianna from Washington, D.C. asks, does Joe Rogan have a point and should the debates be more relevant to people? Uh, the idea of having Rogan moderate doesn't make sense to me because journalists moderate the debates and he's more of a talk show host or entertainer. Um, I think, you know, I can understand why he's very entertaining, but I think, you know, it's a role of journalists to moderate the debates. That said, um, yes, of course, they should be more relevant, but it's up to the commission. And the commission wants to pick seasoned, experienced journalists who are not going to cause a fuss or cause a stink. They want to pick people who are just going to, you know, ask the questions and stay out of the way. That's what they want. And I think if if we want um, younger moderators, which is sort of the situation, maybe times, right? More relevant. What do we say by relevant? If we want people who are more in the pop culture, if we want Oprah or Joe Rogan to moderate, it's going to be up to the commission. And then the question comes, how do we influence the commission in 2024? Jorge from Los Angeles asks, who is worse, Hannity or Tucker? <laughs> who says either of them are bad, right? Uh, hmm. <laughs> Look, I think with Sean Hannity, you know what you're getting. Um, pro-Trump propaganda. With Tucker, it's more complicated. He um, doesn't always just repeat Trump's bullet points. In some ways, I feel like Tucker is rehearsing for 2024. I feel like it, sometimes when I watch Tucker's show, it's like he's doing a, a, a campaign stump speech for the post-Trump years, which is kind of interesting if you think about. Maybe he's going to run someday or he wants to think about how to run. Can I pass? Okay, I'll take I'll take that. <laughs> no, that's perfectly fine. Jane, they're <laughs> different. Fine. This they're very a, different. This one's one that I'm very very interested in um, personally. <laughs> so I'm glad Jane from Tacoma asked it. She said, "How much responsibility do news organizations have to set expectations for audiences expecting returns on election night?" A little wordy, but I understand what she's asking. How much responsibility? Oh my goodness! Do news so much responsibility. I think you know what I'm talking about. So you and they've earned responsibility, and they deserve all that responsibility. And all of us as news consumers need to hold these outlets accountable. You know, at the end of the day, it's a, the group of the major networks plus the AP and Reuters 
that make the projections, that make the calls, that tell the country what happened. And I have full confidence in CNN and CBS and then, you know, all the, the big outlets. And I actually have confidence in Fox News um, in the news side because they've got some really experts who know how to, how to do this. Here's my fear about the election. It's that the pro-Trump propagandists like Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram. Well, I'm just, I think part of her question, or at least my question, I'll, I'll get credited to her, um, is that <laughs> there has been a lot of discussion about the fact that, that we may not know the results on election night this year because of yeah. so much mail-in voting. And there has been an expectation set by all networks. Tune in tonight, watch our coverage on our fancy new set, and we're going to tell you who won the election tonight. As soon as right, we find out, right, and do right. do the networks have a responsibility in educating voters why they really yeah. sh might not be able to expect that this year? Yes, and I think that process is already underway, and we're seeing great reporting about why it might take longer. But I think the danger, the extra is if Trump or his propagandists, if Trump and his allies start to say we won, we won, we won at 11 p.m. on Tuesday night, there's no evidence for that then news outlets have to be prepared, frankly, to ignore him or to just mention the lie and then move on to the truth. So that's going to create pressure on Fox because the highest rated shows on Fox are propaganda shows. They're, they're program opinion shows. And so will they side with Sean Hannity or will they side with the news division? And hopefully they will side with the news division. Okay, um, to that end, uh, Veronica from Houston asks, <laughs> can Fox News change? Absolutely. And uh, change can take many forms. I think there needs to be a lot of conservative-driven news coverage in the country. So there's going to be liberal-driven news coverage. So there should be The Nation magazine and Salon. And then there should be Fox News and The Daily Caller. Um, but they need to be journalism-based they need to be based in reporting, not in rhetoric and repetition and regurgitation of other people's news. What Fox needs is more reporters, more journalists. Go out and cover the news. And my goodness, go ahead, cover it from a right-wing perspective. That's great. Uh, go write stories that you feel like MSNBC is not writing. The problem is they are not investing in news. They're investing in talking heads, people who just opine on the news. Is there not danger in that sort of selection process? You mentioned. Um, for example, the stories that you've seen about the rioting yeah, and the yeah. dangers yeah. in New York. Listen, I've been in New York since the pandemic uh, started. I know that the parts of town that I went into, granted, I had to be quarantined for <laughs> two weeks, so I was not out for much of it. But the times that I did go out, I was able to see that New York was as safe as it had been in the five years that I lived there prior. So I don't, but there are certainly pockets and areas and places where there were yeah. problems, and maybe there might still be yeah. a little bit. Yeah. If 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 a right wing organization, if a right wing news agency is only reporting about those po yes. pockets and not talking about the the safety, or if a left wing news organization is only talking about the safe parts of New York <laughs> and not mentioning the parts where there have been trouble. Are they're both telling the truth, aren't they? I mean, they're not lying. They're giving, they're telling you journalistically true uh, stories. They're just not giving you the whole picture. So, what's the difference between telling lies yeah. and then just not giving you everything? That's a great point. It's about uh, there's, there's truth, and then things can be slanted and still true. 
And we see lots of that. But I'd rather have more of that than just people bitching and moaning on TV, just ranting and raving without even trying to do the reporting. Because at least if you're a reporter and you're covering a story, you're talking to the people affected and the people involved. And I'd rather hear a lot more of their voices and a lot fewer of the talking heads. And by the way, I say that as someone who isn't a talking head, so I'm guilty of the same issue sometimes. But we need to hear more of and, those voices. And there are plenty of talking heads on CNN, too. There definitely are. And like I said, I'm sometimes one of them. I'm sometimes one of them. It would be more of a priority for you know viewers' and vo- voters' voices. And I think in terms of Fox, like, can Fox change? Yes. Have more reporting. Have more viewers' and vo- voters' voices heard. And here's the big question. What will happen to Fox in the post-Rupert Murdoch years? I end hoax with a cliffhanger, which is, right now, Rupert's more conservative son, Lachlan, is in charge. But in the future, his liberal son, James, may try to take over. And uh, it's, not, it's not a totally crazy idea to think that maybe if, if James was running Fox someday, he might try to move Fox News more to the middle. But just to be clear, that's not happening tomorrow. It's not happening next month. That's, that's only maybe someday in the future. Okay, last question from a, uh, from a listener. Uh, my oh favorite boy. one to end this round with. Jessica from Reno asks, what's the biggest hoax out there right now? <laughs> well, I mean, I think a lot of people have different answers to this question, but I would say as the author of hoax, um, the president <laughs> telling us every day that the news is fake and telling us that this could be a hoax and that could be a hoax and that might be a hoax. He is chipping away our collective sense of truth. What he's saying essentially every day is, don't believe anything but me. Don't believe anyone but the news sources I tell you. Just believe in me, the Fox News president. And I think that's the greatest hoax of all. I I, I think that um, we all benefit when we have a diverse media diet, when we consume lots of sources, when we hear lots of views. And the word hoax is a conversation ender, right? Like once I once I have, have been accused of a hoax or once I've committed a hoax on you, we're not talking anymore, right? Like a hoax hurts you. Like a hoax is malicious. It ends a conversation. And that's why I like your podcast. Mm-hmm. We need to be starting conversations, not ending conversations. I think the greatest hoax of all is, is Trump trying to say, hey, don't trust anything but me. I'm the only person that's true. I think that's the greatest hoax of all. Well, to to that point, I'll ask you the last question, mine, and and it is what we ask everybody, which is, you know, if people are, I mean, there was a time when reasonable people could disagree <laughs> on lots of policy issues. Reasonable people could even disagree on something like the Supreme Court nominee or whether the Supreme Court nominee should go through right now. We could have those reasonable mm. disagreements, and I can very firmly say, nope. You made the rule. Too late. Don't do it now. But other can other people can disagree on some of these other things. But if we are living in a society now where people aren't just disagreeing on policy issues or political gamesmanship mm-hmm. issues, but truly actually listening to different news sources and getting different air quotes facts <laughs> and different news spin and propaganda even, how the heck are we going to get along? <laughs> By walking across the uh, the backyard or the proverbial fence and 
and hanging out and cracking open a beverage and having our kids play with each other and having conversations that have nothing to do with politics, which I know is hard to say and, and not always easy to do. Um, and uh, can be intimidating and can be awkward sometimes, but there's nothing I love more than getting to know someone really well and then finding out their politics later. <laughs> right. Right. And as opposed you know, to right? starting there, we How have to stop starting there. Um, yeah, I, I wish I, I, that's a very, and I know point. that's hard. I know. And I know I that's like that. hard to do. I, that was the one yeah, of my favorite answers. Stop do, starting there. You know, there's these people on the internet who, um, <laughs> there's like all these crazy things about both you and me on the internet, right? Like there's, if you Google me, like there's some crazy website that says I'm like, I'm worth $10 million a year. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I got to pay my mortgage. I wish I was worth that much. Right. And then, and then, <laughs> right. so, so that's nice. And then there's these websites that are like, you were on Jeffrey Epstein's plane. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, where'd that come from? Like, oh, I, how am I supposed to, how am I supposed to prove that I never I, knew Jeffrey Epstein? That's insane. Like, that's sick. And I'm, I'm just thinking to myself, I was fortunate in some ways enough to be amongst the first people in the public yes. eye as the internet was just yeah. getting started prior to Twitter. So it was Aww. just message boards and that kind of stuff. AOL, Twitter hadn't come around yet. So I slowly learned how to just say, I, I, I don't know, I guess I got a training in that right. crap before Twitter ever well, came along. I, so now I just don't give a shit. I could use your advice. I could... Because I, I feel like there's there's these uh, these insane things about me, right? There's these crazy things, and I've I've gotten pretty good at tuning it out. But then every once in a while, I'll meet a new neighbor, and I'm from CNN. And I'll think to myself, oh, I hope they didn't read that, or I hope they didn't read this, or I hope they don't believe that. But you know what? Most of the time, they don't care. They have no idea. They don't. They don't. And most of the time, they just, I mean, 300 million people in, 330 million people in America, and CNN gets... Two million viewers a night for its. Yeah, I mean, look, the average average person who sees me on the street who knows me, they vaguely know I'm from CNN. But you know what? If I'm walking home from the ice cream truck with my daughter, they just want to compliment uh, her ponytail or they want to say, you know, she she has such a great smile. Like most people are not trying to connect about politics. We don't just live in political bubbles. We live in bubbles, uh, you know, in our, we all live in our own little <laughs> bubble too. And, and if you see something online and it's about you, you assume that everybody saw it because everybody in your world saw it. Everybody at your office saw it. Everybody at your school, your kid's school might have seen it. But most everybody in the world didn't see it and didn't notice it. And I think we all forget <laughs> that 330 million people, we're all not, we don't care about the same things. We don't pay attention to the same things. We don't, I mean, we all have to live in this country together and it's not all about, you Thank goodness. Thank goodness. I love your, I love your whole, right? I love your idea and your answer about, you know, it, getting to know people and not making it about politics and finding, don't make that the first thing that, that you, I don't consider myself gay first. That's not the first thing that people need to know about me. That's not my headline, nor is, nor should being a Democrat be my headline. Um, in any, in, any more than being gay should be be my headline, or being male, should, any of that. You know, we're all very intricate and multi-dimensional people, and we have we really turn people each other into two-dimensional um, <laughs> figures. I consider myself uh, bald first, and then a, and then a dad second, <laughs> uh, and then an author third, and then I don't know. There's so many things down the list. There you go. <laughs> You're. <laughs> Well, Brian Stelter, thank you so much for being with us. The book is Hoax, 
Donald Trump, Fox News, and the Dangerous Distortion of Truth. Um, it's a fascinating read, and it's a fascinating look into the media landscape that has changed a lot over the past few decades, and and probably one of the largest players in it. Um, it's a look into that as well. So um, you can see him on CNN's Reliable Sources every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern. Um, Brian Stelter, thank you again thank so you. much for being with us this week. If you like the podcast, please subscribe, like, rate, review, all that fancy stuff that you do. And we will be back here next week with another episode of How the Heck Are We Gonna Get Along? 13 Days of Halloween. A remote hotel, the most unusual guests, a tour guide that can't be trusted. And the newest arrival is you. Why are you here again? They sound like someone you trust. I know starring Keegan-Michael Key as the caretaker. Please make yourself at home. After all, this is it. One story each night, starting October 19th and ending on Halloween. From iHeartRadio and Blumhouse Television, listen to Aaron Mankey's 13 Days of Halloween on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? I am Machine Gun Kelly, and look, I know Halloween is going to suck this year because there's no trick-or-treating and all that, but I've got a treat. There's a musical podcast that I made with my friends 24K Golden, Ian Dior, and Dana Dentata, and Satan. Well, Satan's not my friend, but Tommy Lee is, and Tommy Lee is playing Satan. But don't just take it from me. Tell him, Satan. Thanks, dude. It feels great to be playing Satan on this podcast. Listen to Halloween in Hell on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or whatever you get your podcasts on.